If you would, take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 799. 799. And I'm going to be um, reading verses 3 through 11 this morning. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. I invite you to listen carefully if this is God's word to us. Paul writes, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in this death, we certainly will also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Now, some of you who are old enough might know that those words um, were uttered by Al Michaels. I hope the voice of Al Michaels, for those of you who know, he just comes to your, to your mind right now. It was in 1980, the U.S. hockey team was playing whom? Soviet Union. To say that we were underdogs would be uh, an understatement. Um, and there it happened that the U.S. team beat the Soviet Union in ice hockey. And he couldn't help but in his excitement to exclaim, do you believe in miracles? Yes! And with all due respect uh, to Al, um, what Al witnessed was not exactly a miracle. It was improbable. It was unlikely. Um, I think the last time that the U.S. had played the Soviets at that point, they beat them like 10 to 3, which in football terms was like 100 to 6. So it didn't didn't look good going in, but they won. And he couldn't help but just be overwhelmed and say, "This, this is a miracle. But you and I know that there are things that are improbable. There are things that are unlikely that happen. But every now and then the stars align and whatever that thing is, maybe your favorite sports team triumphing over a greater opponent wins. And we use the words like miraculous. But this morning, as you and I gather on Easter Sunday morning, I think it's important for us to to know the difference between miraculous and improbable and unlikely and lean into the fact and marvel at the fact that our faith in Christ is truly rooted in something that is miraculous, not just something that was unlikely or improbable. I hope you noted that when I read the resurrection account in Luke's gospel, 
that everybody in the days following Jesus' death, none of his followers assumed that he was coming back from the dead. They didn't gather in some huddle and say, well, you know, I know he died, but he's coming back, just like he told us. They knew what death was like, just like you know what death is like. They had left gravesides and tombs before. And to that point, no one had ever come back from the dead. And so for them, Jesus' death was a verdict that he was not the Messiah. And it was so outside their realm of possibility that he would be resurrected that even though he told them multiple times, they couldn't believe it. And so when the women left the garden and they went and told the other disciples, how did they respond? They didn't believe. They were skeptical about this story and this miracle of resurrection. But in the days that would follow, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to a lot of people. I used to wonder why that statement was in the Apostles' Creed. Like, I understood life, death, and resurrection, but then it says, well, he appeared to lots of people. But it's an important part of our faith to, to know that the resurrected Jesus appeared to people in the days after his resurrection to prove that he was indeed alive on the other side of the grave. And one of the people who met the, who met the risen Jesus was the Apostle Paul. He met him on the road to Damascus, you might remember. And the thing that's interesting to me about Paul is that, that Paul was not seeking after the Lord, correct? In fact, if anything, Paul was trying to oppose the spread of this story about Jesus' resurrection. And Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And in that resurrection appearance forever changed Paul's life. And Paul would say that from now on, I'll stop at nothing. I'll endure anything and everything so that others might hear the story of the good news of the gospel of all that God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. On this Easter morning, I I feel this great weight to make sure that you leave church Knowing what Christianity is about. Knowing that the base, what is it that you and I believe as Christians? What's the most foundational, elemental thing of who we are as people of faith? Before Christian is used, as it so often is, as an adjective to describe something, like politics or ethics or music or literature, If you strip away all of that as an adjective, what is foundationally at the root of the Christian faith? And I have two people in mind. One, I have the person who's in the sanctuary today and has no real idea why they're here. Other than maybe like everybody in the family's going. So I'll go. Or lunch is next or whatever. Maybe it's culturally just kind of the thing that you always do on Easter, but you're not really necessarily someone who believes. And then I also have another person in mind, those of you who have been believers for a long, long time. And Christianity, if we're not careful, has a way of becoming normal to us. In the first service, we recited the Apostles' Creed, and we said things like, He was crucified, buried, and dead, and on the third day He rose from the dead, and he ascended to the Father, and now sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And I'm looking out in the first service, 
just watching how people say these things to see if on their faces there's any idea or indication that this is crazy stuff that we're saying. That we believe that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, that he ascended and that one day he's coming. I think Christianity can become domesticated for us sometimes. And so I hope that you leave the sanctuary, if you've been a Christian for a long time, reminded of the radical nature of what it is that we believe and the difference that it ought to make in your life. I'm going to walk you through Paul's argument in his letter to the Romans. And don't worry, don't let your eyes glaze over. I won't get too far in the weeds, but I want to make sure that you understand what the gospel or the good news of Jesus is. And Paul starts out by saying the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. So there is something in the gospel that's not just you and I giving mental assent to some set of truths, but it's, it's God's power to change people. It's God's power to bring us from death to life. And then Paul gets into the bad news. See, usually if there's good news, there's always some bad news that comes before the good news. And here's the bad news. The bad news is that 100% of us in this room have sinned before the Lord and we are deserving of judgment and to be separated from Him. That's 100% true of everybody that you will meet. And Paul starts talking about why this is true in two different groups of people's lives. And he starts first with, with people who weren't people of faith, people who he would have called Gentiles, who didn't grow up with the Scriptures, they didn't grow up with the stories of what God had done for his people. And he says, this group of people, they're guilty before the Lord because they should be able to see and understand from all that God has created, this truth that there is a God who created everything that you and I experience, and there ought to be something in us that makes us seek after him. There is um, part of spring that I just love. One part of spring is that I told the first group that God's favorite game of baseball is back. It ought to bring joy to you. If you don't believe that, I just got to trust that the Spirit will open your eyes. You'll see it later. Anyways, baseball's back, but then also everything starts coming back to life. I hate winter. If I turn in my letter of resignation tomorrow, it will be because I'm going farther south where things don't die as much. I hate winter. Um, everything is dead. The days are really short. It's dark. It's increasingly wet here in the wintertime. But when spring comes, like things come back to life. In my backyard, there are these plants that look like sticks in the wintertime. Like we moved in the house in August, backyard was beautiful, gorgeous. You get to January, it's like a wasteland back there. Nobody go back there. But in the spring, Everything starts coming to life, even the things that I wish would not, like weeds. Weeds come back to life in the craziest of places, too, like out of the rock wall. Like, wow, there's, there's life in the sidewalk, you know, life just springing everywhere. 
And driving around this part of the world during the spring is it's gorgeous if we would just pay attention. And so you and I look around at creation, and there is this, this message to us of this God who created everything that brings us joy and the newness of life that comes back. So Paul says those who grew up without some understanding of the Scriptures, there's at least within them as they look out at the world this understanding that there is a God who created all this, who ought to be feared and obeyed. And then he turns his attention to religious people, which perhaps many of you fall in this category. Maybe you grew up around things of faith, you've heard the stories of the Scriptures a lot, and in the event that this group of people feels some sense of superiority, over those pagans or those Gentiles, Paul kind of turns his cannon toward them now. He's like, you're next. You think that because you have the scriptures or you think that you know how to live, that you're somehow better or you're exempt from this judgment that's coming. But Paul says just possessing things like the scriptures, just knowing what's right and wrong, in and of itself doesn't make us right in God's sight. And he gets to this point where he says, hey, everybody, Jew, Gentile, religious not, everybody stands condemned before the Lord and deserving of his judgment. I want to make sure I read the bad news to you enough that you like really feel the weight of it. So this is what he says in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. He says, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And Paul just goes on and on. He just goes on and on to help all of us, no matter where we're from or what we've done or we haven't done, to feel the weight of the truth that we deserve God's judgment. And then you might ask yourself the question, well, then what's the answer? All right, you've given us the, given us the bad news. Well, what is the good news? And then Paul makes this shift and he says, here's the thing, none of you can be made righteous in your own power, your own abilities, your own pedigree or where you're from. But there's a righteousness of God that's been a, revealed apart from the law. So it's not based on you doing well enough. It's not based on you obeying well enough. But the law bears witness to it. The law prepares us for it, the coming of the Christ. And then he shows us how it is that you and I become partakers of this salvation, and it's through faith. It's through belief that God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, has accomplished everything necessary so that in Christ he paid the penalty for our sins and in his resurrection he's overcome the grave so that you and I are now righteous in his sight through faith. But I want you to listen to how Paul describes Abraham's faith, okay? It's in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 17. He says, As it is written... Speaking of Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. 
all throughout the early chapters of Romans, Paul is going to contrast death and life. And he says that, that salvation is this belief that God, where there is death, brings life and calls into existence things that are not. And I can remember last year we were going through a sermon series on Abraham. And we got to the point in Abraham's life where he and Sarah were promised a child. And do you remember how they initially responded to the challenges? They thought, well, we'll just make it happen in our own power. We'll just kind of bypass a barren womb, find somebody else and make it work. And God's like, nope, not the way. And waits and waits and waits until they're older and older and older. So there's no possibility of them having children on their own. And then he does it. He gives life where there was death. He calls into existence a child where there was not one. And that's the faith that you and I have as followers of Christ. That God does this thing, he does this miracle in us to give us life where we're only dead, to call us into existence when we didn't exist. And then he gives one more example of a historical figure, a guy named Adam. Now, when I say Adam, all of you should just be like, boo. When you read the story of Genesis and creation and fall, I mean, Adam and Eve kind of get, they kind of get stuck with the bad news, don't they? That there was this portion where, where God said, don't do this, do all this, but don't do this. And Adam and Eve bought into the lie that there was something to be found outside of God's will that would bring them joy and satisfaction. And so they ate the fruit and the fall happened and all of us live in a fallen world. And Paul compares what God did in Jesus to undo what happened in Adam. And he says that Jesus is different from what happened in Adam in that through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus brings salvation and new life to all people, just like Adam brought death and fallenness to all people. And that all people part is important that you understand and, and, and believe. Because you remember we said that all people, Jew and Gentile alike, were all fallen. All were sinful, deserving of God's judgment. But the good news is that the gospel of salvation that Jesus brings through his life, death, and resurrection is available to all people. This morning we had a sunrise service. I didn't see nearly as many of you there. It's cold. But what was interesting about it is that there were different churches together. A couple of Baptist churches, an Episcopalian church, an African-American congregation. And the wonderful thing about a gathering like that is that there is this real living witness to the fact that, that all of us, regardless of where we're from or what we've done, what group we belong to or don't, that salvation is possible for all those people through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the, that's the good news of the gospel. That despite all that we've done, despite our unworthiness, Christ has made salvation possible to all people through faith in him. And sometimes we stop there with the hope of the gospel. 
and you and I live as if Christianity only has something to say to you before you're a Christian or after you die. And we kind of think, all right, not going to, not going to hell, not going to be separated from the Lord forever. I'll just kind of hang on until he returns or until I pass from this life. And Paul says something in Romans chapter 6 that is so important to me and so important that I think you and I realize and understand is that our hope in Jesus has hope for us not just when we pass from this life or when Christ returns, but for every day between this day and that day. Did you hear what what Paul said in Romans chapter 6? Verse 4, he says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we might walk even now in newness of life. I am 44 years old. Some of you are like, man, you're young. Others of you are like, good gracious, you're so old. But I've been alive, I guess, 44 years now. And the thing that bothers me or that worries me about the cultural moment that we find ourselves in is that it seems like a lot of people are living in a world without hope. And the cynicism and the negativity and just the general mood that you and I live in, it just seems kind of as bad as it's ever been. And, and maybe that's admittedly because I'm getting old and becoming my father. But there seems to be a part of this cultural moment that, that people, after a while, they get beat up by life so much that they kind of just give in to the narrative and the cynicism. And this is just how things are always going to be. But here's the thing, that you and I as, as Christians... We do not have that option. We don't have that option. Because we're people who believe in the miraculous, powerful working of the Holy Spirit in our lives now to change us. What do you think would happen if I went, not this Monday, but next Monday in the deacons meeting? And I said, deacons, I got great news. We had, I don't know how many people. We had, make up a number. Between two services, we had 1,200 people in worship on Sunday. And I fully expect we're going to have that many next Sunday. What would they, what would they say to me? Psh, yeah. There goes that dreamer. Idealistic, kind of getting ahead of himself. think that, that you and I, our only option is to believe that God could do something like that. Our only option is to walk through life believing that there might be people here this morning or people that we're going to interact with this week who are not on the path seeking after the Lord. They don't think that they're on the path trying to understand who Jesus is, but God, by the power of his spirit, can intersect their lives and radically transform them. I've seen it. Have you seen it? 
I've seen it happen in people's lives that they were not seeking after the Lord, some in my own family. And I've seen them radically transformed by the power of the gospel. And there's some maybe who are here who don't know why they're here and God's at work in their life and maybe they'll be back next week and maybe they'll be back the next week. Not out of a sense of religious obligation or duty, but because God's at work in their hearts, transforming them, even giving us a desire to live into the Christian life in a way that costs us the sacrifice of our time and our conveniences and our talents and our treasures so that others might come to know the good news and the difference that Christ can make in their lives by the power of the gospel. Pastors are like everybody else. We get advice from all different areas. How how are you going to grow the church in a changing world? People are less religious. People are running, people are doing all these things. And they're like, well, if you want to do that, you need to do this and implement this strategy. Or maybe get a better marketing team. Or maybe da-da-da-da. And I told everybody in the first service that I hope that I would have enough integrity with you that before I went there, I would just say, you know what? I'm out. Because I want to believe in the power of the gospel that God, regardless of the circumstances, can do amazing things to transform people's lives, to bring them into salvation and eternal life, and to grow his church in any season. I want to believe that. And here's the thing. I'm not asking you to believe an overly triumphalistic view of Christianity. I'm not saying that I'm going to explain away every hard thing that you're going to face in this life. One of the privileges of being in Christian ministry in one place for a long time is that as I look around at your faces, I know a lot of your stories. And I know that a lot of you, that that life is hard. And Christianity is not this promise that life's going to be easy. It's not this promise that if you just give your life to Christ, everything between here and Christ returning or you dying is going to be golden for you. But it is this belief that whatever we face in life, sickness, death, our personal lives falling apart, relationships being a mess, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that he's shown us in the person of Jesus Christ. And one day, if I'm at your funeral or you're at mine, we don't know. The way that we can walk through those things is our belief that, that even when they lay my body down, that God's going to do this miraculous thing when Christ returns and bring me to new life, to resurrection life. Pray that the Lord in your heart and life will remind you of the good news of the gospel. That Christ is for us, that every season of life he's with us, that nothing will overcome his purposes in our lives and ultimately. And one day you and I will sing
song together. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, and we can't sing it yet because we, we still go, we still experience hardship and difficulty and hard things. We still go to cemeteries. But one day in 1 Corinthians 15, there's this song that we're going to sing. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Between this day and that day, may the Lord help us to be faithful, to believe that even now he's present and at work to bring his kingdom here to come on this earth. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel, and we thank you for preserving um, these stories of the resurrection. We thank you for helping us see how your spirit has been at work to change lives, that those of us who are followers of Jesus, that you've transformed us, and others that are around us, Lord, that, that we've seen too much of your hand at work not to believe in you. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with this hope and this expectation, Lord, that even in these days we can experience newness of life. Help us to believe that the path that you put us on is more joyful than any other path that we can take. Do your work among us even now. And we offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.